want to say thanks to Jackson Therapy Partners, providing awesome adventures in patient care for physical therapists who care about where they're going. Find out more about travel physical therapy at jacksontherapy.com. Frequent guest of the show, Will Humphreys, comes on. In a new segment we want to call Positive Deviance. Uh, Will's the kind of guy that I look to for being able to change up the game. Uh, he looks at pain points within the profession, figures out which ones he likes to solve and is good at solving, and he does that. And you benefit. So we get into some ways that we can create positive deviance within physical therapy. He's going to be coming on the show pretty regularly going forward. This is, this is the PT Pinecast. Hey, before we get started, wanted to say thanks to a couple sponsors that keep the show on the air. Physical Therapy and Balance Centers, they were created by PTs, especially for PTs in private practice. On average, a private practice who joins the physical network grows more than 40%. So if you're ready to discover how the largest network of PT private practice owners are growing and adapting to industry changes, visit physicalfranchise.com. That's F-Y-Z-I-C-A-L franchise.com. And our friends from MW Therapy, they want to know, hey, have your EMR costs grown out of control? Has your current EMR hit a wall? Or maybe it was invented in 2007 when smartphones weren't even a thing. There's a time for something better at times now. MW Therapy. Take a demo now at mwtherapy.com. That's mwtherapy.com, where switching over your EMR is easy. And our friends at CBDRX for you, your CBD store, get the ABCs of CBD at cbdrx4u.com. That's cbdrx, the number four, the letter U, dot com. We talk PT, drink beer, and record it. This is the PT Pinecast. All right, we're live. We got the aggressive music. The aggressive music is playing, Will Humphreys. It must mean the, the show has begun. He's Will Humphreys. Uh, Will, how do you describe what you do and who you do it for and what you allow them to do? Like, how do you explain to people, like, your thing? So my whole thing is disrupting the industry. I want to change physical therapy. I feel like we're too asleep. And so I sold my practice and I have a new thing that I do. It's called the Healthcare Business Academy. It's everything that you wish you had learned in physical therapy school. And so I have a number of little companies that I've started that are growing. One was a medical billing company that's totally different than anything else that's out there. I have a recruiting program called Rockstar Recruiter to help PTs stop giving up their power to recruiters who don't know what they're doing and start getting their own solutions in place. And then I have NextGen, which is a student and new grad facing educational platform that helps them. The last thing I'm doing is a company called Multiple Exit that is taking physical therapists and taking a stand against being sold for small amounts of money. It's ridiculous how many PT owners are selling their practices for three to four times multiple of their EBITDA. And most people may not know what that means, but they're selling it at like a very low amount and they can get double that if they just knew a little bit more about that. So that my companies are helping that and they're all growing. And, and that's my whole thing is trying to disrupt the industry and make it a better world for us to live in. So it sounds like you took a, a couple of different audiences, looked at them, said, what is your, what is a big problem in your world? Or what is something that Will sees and says, ooh, you don't have to do it this way. And you said, well, instead of me just yelling at you, I'm going to build a path for you to not do that thing. So hold on, you got next gen. So that's new grads mm -hmm. and students, right? You yes. got billing, which is something that we're never taught and are often slapped across the face with if you're a practice owner. Yes. You've got uh, multiple exits, which is like, can you get taken advantage of after you've built something for 10, 20, 30, 40 years and do it the wrong way? And then you've got recruiting, which is like, hey, we, we didn't learn. There, there wasn't a semester on recruiting. We, we didn't learn this. So it sounds like you said if the, the clinician is the sun, what are the problems in their solar system? Let me figure this out for them and just build those solutions. Just touch here and I got a solution for you. Yeah, and it's interesting. That sounds all unrelated, but it really is. Most of my clients use most of those products. Now, yeah. obviously, not everyone's looking to sell, but everyone should know their exit strategy early on. And if they're starting their practice, so like if you think about it, next gen is the beginning of the PT life cycle. Multiple exit is the end of that cycle. And so what are the two main barriers in between the beginning and the end? Getting good talent and getting right. your money. 
So that's my whole company. So it does seem a little bit fragmented from the distance. And that's why I use the global brand healthcare business Academy because it connects them across the board. And yeah, all these things that I, I am working in, the reason I chose them was because those used to be my main headaches. When I became a physical therapist, as you know, it came because I fell off a mountain and broke over 20 bones in my body. And I had this physical therapist show me the path. And then I walked it myself and thought, dude, there's nothing cooler in the world than spending the rest of our career helping people learn to walk again. But then I quickly realized as a business owner, there's no one out there helping them learn how to walk figuratively in their business. And I work with so much with people who are in their 60s and 70s who have worked 80 hour weeks or whatever exaggerated term that is and have treated and run their business. And they're like, there's no more life left. And they're just now thinking about retirement. They've never known how to recruit. They don't know if their billing is even doing a good job. And I'm just, I had help like with my therapist teach me how to do these different things. And that's the whole thing is I'm at a point in my career where I want to go back and help these individuals succeed. That's a, that's gotta feel cool when you put your feet on the floor in the morning. Cause you're like, remember those things that used to really scare the crap out of me and annoy me. I'm helping people conquer those. Like I conquered them and now I get to help other people not have that feeling that pit in their stomach. Yeah, I can tell you, like, first of all, I didn't figure any of this out. I was taught this. The one thing that I'm really good at, according to my wife, which hurts me a little bit when she says this, is that I'm very trainable. And so she's like, well, you're very trainable. I don't know if I like you telling me that. But I've had lots of coaches over 15 years. I've had over 20 coaches in these 15 years teach me these things. And all of them come into the physical therapy space. They're like, why do you guys do that? Yeah. So now that I've learned it, it's the greatest joy. And people are like, oh, you're no longer a PT. Like I'm more of a PT now than I've ever been. Yeah. Even though I'm not treating the patient anymore, I am treating what the ignorance that lies in our industry around the PT owners who are the most important, in my opinion, PT owners are the most important part of our industry. And if we can free those men and women up to be powerful they are going to go back and change the policies. They're the ones who are going to make healthcare a better place. Yeah. So I'm treating the, the disease is just different, but I'm still yeah. treating. I, I, when I give it to, when I give talks to students, uh, I start by asking a question that I don't want them to answer. They're going to answer it in their head, but I don't want them to answer it out loud until I'm done with my talk. And that's usually like my talk of my story. Right. And I said, the first, the question is, is Jimmy a real PT? And then I say, and then I tell my story and then I say, all right, what I do, because I explain what I do with like science communication. And I'm like, so am I a PT? And they're like, well, and I'm like, now I'll ask you this question. Can you touch a patient without ever touching a patient, without ever laying hands or being in front of a patient? And I posit you can like, and especially when you change the the question to like professors, it's like, is your professor a PT if they don't treat? And like, well, of course, because they're teaching PT. I go, right. So if you teach a PT something and it's relatable to the practice of physical therapy, um, communicating is a big part of that. So if I'm teaching people this element of my PT, and that's what, the coolest part is when I see the eyebrows of the students, because, right? you know, we tell a lot with our faces in an audience. And when the students are like, mm, no, he's not. And then, and, then I, and then I twist it with that. And they're like, hmm, at least I've made you consider it. I don't, I don't need to flip it from a no to a yes, but at least it's like, all right, it's a no to a maybe. Like, hmm, maybe he's onto something. Yeah. So that's fun. I got to just say, that's what I've always loved about you. When I was, when I sold my practice and I was just like, the world was my oyster in the sense that like, you know, I have money now and I'm looking at like, what can I do to help make a difference? And I could start anywhere. Yours was the first podcast I did. Huh. Oh, I, I, don't, I thought I, maybe I told you this, but I was researching like influencers in our industry and no one, no one has done what you've done. And I, I was like listening to some of your, your episodes getting inspired by it. So like you've done for me what I'm hoping to do for others. And that's why I love every time I get invited to be on the show. Cause man, you're out there disrupting, you're broadening people's horizons, but ultimately you're waking them up. I think all this, all the hard work and all the insurance and all the like student learning is just driving pe- great men and women, the best in the world, driving them down into this routine of like, I just got to get done with my day, yeah, my weekend so I can relax for a few minutes before I've got to go back and grind again. Yeah, Gary V will say, if you're, if you're living for Fridays in the weekend, man, your life is, your life is screwed up, man. He's like, you gotta, you gotta get out. You gotta love Mondays, baby. He's like, love Mondays and yeah. love or hate, love or hate Gary V. Cause he's got a really abrasive style and he's like, this is who I am. 
when I started listening to what he was saying and not how he was saying it, I started to embrace him. And he would say all the time, I mean, and and I I would say this too, because I've had someone ask, like, do you consider yourself an influencer? I consider myself not a bridge builder, but a stage builder. It's wow. like, hey, I created an environment that people know they can come and like, you know, hey, have a beer and just like be the inner you. I think what I try to do anyway is make the person I that I think is in, interesting or remarkable or has something worth sh- sharing. Okay. I'm like, I got to get them to drop this to do wow. this because people aren't going to listen for two hours to a podcast. So I got to do it like quick. So here, here's a trick. You ready for the trick? I wasn't planning on this. If I'm recording live with someone and I read their anxiety levels at like a seven, I will fake taking so long to set my equipment up. I will like, Oh, how does this go? And where's that wire? And where does this plug in? And while I'm doing that, I'm like, so where'd you grow up? Like, I don't care what you're talking about. I need you to start saying words because that the more words you get out, the lower your anxiety will be. It's like, what'd you play in high school? I don't even care. Like, where, where's your favorite vacation? Da, 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 da. And then when I say, when then like, then they see the microphone comes out, that's when like the white, like it's like they spike and they're like, oh, there it is. It's going to bite me. It's like a needle. And I'm like, hey, so this episode's going to sound like the last 10 minutes. It's going to sound like you conversing with me. And then I, I, I hit him with the real sucker punch. I go, if this thing sucks, it's my fault. And they're like, oh, okay. That sounds good. It's on and I'm like, listen, I've done this like a million times. I haven't, you know, been thrown off the air yet. It's a podcast. You can't get thrown off the air. But I'm thrown off the air yet, so I think we're going to be all right. Well, you keep growing, man. It's so cool to see that stage that you built. And, like, ultimately, I think that you're serving that platform for multiple. It, we need so many more leaders still to Dude. stand on the stage and just have the courage to stand up. And, yeah, you know this. When you take a stand, there's those critics we're going to start. And it's really funny to me that, you know, that when I got attacked, I was really, when I launched my YouTube channel, for example, and I had people like comment, it was, it, at first it really upset me. Like yeah. a lot. I was shocked at how much someone whose name I didn't even know saying, dude, you look ridiculous on, on, uh, on your video. And what you said is a bunch of crap. Yep. I remember going like for a full day. And then for some reason, I got over it. And now like, I figure when people are saying those things, that means I'm starting to be yes. I'm starting to make an impact somewhere. Yes. And uh, yeah, but it's interesting when you stand on stage, it takes courage. And so whether it's the first time to do a podcast or whether that they're just trying to decide what they want to take a stand for or yes. against, it takes courage to stand up on that stage, but you're at least creating that stage and then encouraging it. others to get up there. It's the man in the arena. Have you ever heard the man in the arena poem? One of my favorites, Brene Brown, Daring Greatly, right? Yeah, it's like, you know, be, be the man. In the, you're the man of Rita. You're not the critic who stands on the sideline and win or lose. It's like you took a shot, right? But, yeah. I mean, Gary Vee, not to bring him up again, but he does a great riff once where he's like, um, well, two things. He's like, who gives a shit about what Johnny Pants 427 says about you in your comments? He's like, dude, move on. Like, and what he does is he attacks with, like, empathy. And he's like, I feel bad for you that that's what you're doing that that's what you're spending time. He winds up flipping it and he DMs them and he goes, Hey man, what's up? Are you okay? And most of the time he says, they immediately become disarmed and they go, just having a shitty day. I'm sorry. I, I commented that. And he's like, no problem, man. What can I do for you? And next thing you know, he's flipped the person into going, I'm open-minded. He is so amazing. Gary V is one of those guys that I think, Crazy. yeah, he, we need, we need someone in that regard in our industry, someone who's just able to see through it all and help. I'll do it. Around and, Yes. I'll do it. You would be perfect for that. That's such a personality type, by the way. I yeah. love Gary V. Man, I think you would. Yeah. He, he, you are officially the Gary V of physical I'll be therapy. Gary V of PT. I'm, I'm Gary, saying it right here. Jimmy PT. But he also has another great idea that I will still steal because I now employ it. It's like he, he flips it both sides. So your, your comment on. Hey, listen, I launched my thing and I was in my, in, in my comments, there was people like hating on me and I'm just going to ignore the haters. He's like, absolutely. But, but, and here's his crux. He's like, you can't fall in love with the honey then too. You can't fall in love with the love. He goes, because then you live or die by, Hey, I did this thing and I didn't get any, po- I, you know, I didn't get any negative. So that's good, but I didn't get any positive. So that means it, it was bad. It's like, no, your, your content can't let you got to do it because it's what you're passionate about what you believe the audience the world needs to consume and become not because you're going for the likes not because you're going 
to do what everybody because because he's like then your content changes then you're chasing likes and follows and i've done it i did it this is this is why i kind of took the spin away from doing shows with people that i just want to have conversations with and i said i need to be very intentional and be targeted about episodes i've talked about this how i almost blew up this podcast because i was like I'm not I'm not staying true to myself, which is like, let's have great conversations. I was like, we haven't done an aquatics episode in, in 17 weeks. We need to do one of those. But I was like, I don't really care about co- talking about aquatics right now. So I shouldn't have been. But I was I was I was playing to the audience. And that almost crushed me. Yeah, I needed to hear that. I was just in the process of creating content for my YouTube channel. And and honestly, I've been they teach you how to do research to find which topics are trending, yeah. which things to do. But I think I'm just going to screw that and go completely on the own and just go what, what speaks to my my interest and desires. Because I am interested in the things I've built businesses around, just like you have. And I will tell you, that whole thing about chasing likes, it is an epidemic. Yes. Um, my greatest passion has starting to shift. It used to be 100% physical therapy. And then I had four boys. And now my passion is mental health. Huh. When it comes to young men, because that's all I have are young men. And it's interesting how for young men or young women, since the advent of the cell phone, right, that came out in 2007, I think it is, it was 2013 that 95% of all adults aged, they, they considered adult 18 and, and above had a smartphone. And the, the suicide rate has been tripling almost every three to four years. And what they're finding is like the, the, pan, the pandemic of mental health issues is starting to spread and it's all got to do with this connectivity to social media. So I actually speak on the weekends at different youth groups and talk to kids who are struggling. And I was in a room recently um, with a couple hundred kids and I was shocked because I just said, Hey, let's look at some of these statistics. Every 60 seconds, a teenager kills themselves. And let's talk about the growth rate. Let's talk about why this is. And I just say, without giving them like any reason, what is it do you think that's causing this? And literally, it opened the, every time I do it, it opens this Pandora box of people saying, well, I know exactly what it is. I can't get on Facebook or Instagram is their thing, Instagram or TikTok, and see everything that I'm not and the pressure. Nice. And like in all these things that we already know, but hearing it from a teenager who's, they're half-baked cakes. My mom's from Texas. A teenager has a half-baked cake for a brain. As they're developing their, their experience of life and their idea of who they are, to get bombarded with all of these things, it just cripples it. It's like cancer. And so, yeah, I just think that mental health, as we go into like making a difference in this world, we have to be stable ourselves. And, and we're at a point in life where we have to start taking stands against things or for things. And it doesn't have to be big or small, but man, like there's so many things to choose from. And yeah, that's where, sorry, I went on a bit of a tangent of that, but that's that's just- No, 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 that- but I wanna, I, wanna, I wanna stay with this tangent. Yeah. You, you you start with that you say you you start with the statistic and then you ask the audience like what do you think and they come right back and like well I know what it is social media that's yeah. that so that is a great way I couldn't think of a better way to start that conversation because if you walked in as like I'm will the adult and I'm smarter than you and social media is bad and they'd be like right. they would just be like you're shut up old guy get the hell out you asked them a, you gave them a, a jarring statistic about them likely right it was probably something about kids their age yes. doing stuff and then you and then you asked a question and they they walked you opened the door and they walked through it and that is the brilliant way to start a conversation how does the rest of the presentation go like what what do you what is what is like the overview what is your how does it what's the flow yeah so I, i'm getting chills as you're talking and thanks for spending a minute on this because for me it's interesting when I open that discussion up and there's a few other statistics like one in six teenagers has, has been diagnosed with anxiety or depression in 2020. And that number doesn't include what they suspect to be a huge percentage of individuals who don't even get diagnosed. So when you think about it, you you really think about the struggle that these, this generation is going through. When I open the door and make it safe and say, it's almost like I'm invalidating them. Hey, people are killing themselves every minute. I don't think the teenagers are sitting there going, what? I think they're going, yeah, that's right. Yeah. I've thought about it. And then when I open the door and just say, what is it that do you think causes it? They all say the same thing, but in their own language. And it, it's moving. It moves me to tears in a way that I have to control myself because they, they just talk about their journey of pain. And what we talk about is I share some. So where does that conversation go back to your question? 
is I want to provide them with some meaningful help. And so there's, there's lots of different avenues. The first one that we really focus on is that you're normal. Like we talk about this concept of like, if you've had thoughts of killing yourselves, there is nothing wrong with you. And let's talk to somebody. Yeah. It's kind of an obvious thing. And then we do briefly mention some of the other stuff that's really interesting in, in research regarding, you know, what diet and exercise has, what's the minimal you can do to have the most impact in your mental health. We talk about journaling, but do you know what the number one thing is that I preach, Jimmy, that blew my mind? That you tell them? Yes. It's like what we, like, it, it, of course they have to get help. I'm not, that's a foundational, yeah. but when they, once they're getting help, the number one thing that has been shown in studies, and I can send this to you if you're interested for your listeners, is that there's a study that was done that proved how when when people, especially teenagers and growing adults, know their family history and can tell and regurgitate where grandma, grandpa, their degree of mental health is much lower and their success rate goes up. So the study that I quote is this, it was a study that came out in um, the New York Times and I think it was 2011. And it was called the Do You Know Study. These psychologists in the early 2000s, this is before cell phones, they started following teenagers, hundreds and hundreds of them. And just the one thing they thought they were trying to see, is there a correlation between feeling like you connect with your own family and mental health? And so they sent out this questionnaire, it was called the Do You Know Survey. There was 20 questions. Where was your, where's your dad from? Simple questions, but they all identified things that a, a child would know if, if they were having discussions with their family and connected to their family history. And so the, what, what they say in the study in this, this article is that psychologists were absolutely blown away. It wasn't even correlative. It was so dramatic, the difference between the number of families that have dinner together at night and the ones that share stories about great grandpa Smith who did something amazing or something horrible. They, they found out that it didn't even matter what the family story just was. They just needed to know positive. And if anything, the best balance was successes and failures. Made it real. My last name is Humphreys. And so like with my four boys, and I'll be really transparent, I've struggled with mental health. Some of my children have really struggled with it, is that we now as a family talk about what it means to be a Humphreys. And it's like, hey, if you're a Humphreys, our motto is go fight win because great-grandfather, Grandfil Humphreys, he used to be a doctor in a small town, and this is what he used to put up with every day. Like that kind of identity, that sense of identity is what creates the magic word in mental health, belonging. Mm. If we can feel like we belong, everything changes. The color, the lens that we're looking through becomes about connection. And that's the, the antidote. And hold on a second. And look at what look at what the number one thing that you brought up in terms of talking to those kids on the weekends it's social media and it does the opposite of cause belonging yes i am more connected right now on this little device right here but is it actual belonging i would say it is so pseudo belonging that it's actually i mean anti-belonging it actually makes me feel more like you you mentioned it shows me all the things that i'm not exactly the social media experience and we all know this as adults but we're fully baked cake. We're fully baked. Yeah, right? that's a great. I like that. I like that. That fully baked cake, half baked cake. I for my mom. My mom's East Texas. She has all sorts of things. <laughs> so the point is, is that we, the idea that like when they're getting on social media and their 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 self esteem, like you said, Jimmy, is connected directly to the likes of their post or the number of views or shares. It is. There's no win. There's no because if if you even look at like social influencers on media, the young ones they're struggling. It's everything is, it's not relative to the number of likes. There'll never be enough likes or follows. You can't. And that's why I like that idea from Gary V, which is like, yeah, 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 by all means, ignore the haters. But he's like, he's like empathize with the haters. Oh, not, not feel bad for them, but like, why are they like that? But you got to do the same things for the people who are pouring you the honey, right? Because if you live or die by that, you will live or die by that. You know, I've, I talked to people launching healthcare podcasts and they're like, downloads, downloads, downloads. And I'm like, here's the thing, man, how are you measuring success? And they're like downloads. And I'm like, but if you live by the numbers, you die by the numbers. Like I would rather you do a really great show right now 
because the cool thing with podcasting is this episode that we're recording right now on April 6th is going to come out in a week, but then six months from now, someone's probably listening to it. So I would rather have you create good, great content than worry about the downloads right now because you're also sharpening your ax. You're getting better at this. So your episode on April 6th, you're going to be light years away in, in August or the fall. So like focus on that quality over quantity first. Yeah. You know, I have a question for you, Jimmy. Like you've gone through this journey. You've been in it longer than me. What what has been some of the challenges around this, this thing called standing on that stage? Because, yeah, you've created a stage for others, but you can't create the stage without standing on it. Right, 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 right. So what has been... What has been some of the things that have been hard for you as you've gone through that journey that you had to overcome? Um, uh, false senses of uh, worth, like some people pouring, being download numbers, right? Be hitting a million downloads, and I'm like, I'm here, I've arrived, and then we all know. Yeah, you know, I can laugh at myself now because I knew it then too. You never arrive, man. We're all just we're all just running this long life, and that's great. So I would say like this this um when do i get my when do i get mine it's like no man it's the journey if you love the journey but of course like you want validation like i'm as i'm i seek validation as much as a half-baked brained teenager no matter where they are um and then i've i you know because of the people i was close to i realized i'd rather have their respect than validation so i've got a network of people that every once in a while some of them are texting me right now asking me how my day is going so it's very ironic sky donovan dropping me a text message as we're talking um they check in so it's a it's find your real network right i have developed relationships with people i've met over the podcast yeah. you know you and i have talked a million times um i've made pseudo relationships with people that I tweet at a lot and they they always have a cool things to say and whatnot but I got to recognize I can't live or die by that live or die by real 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 deep connections a few deep connections yeah it goes back to relationships is what I'm hearing you say is that like for you it's a matter of you've gone through the journey of the pseudo connection and now you're all about the real relationships and it feels like that has something to do with the recent shift that you've made yeah in this show well when when, when I did a I did a strategery call um, not this past CSM, but I guess like four or five years ago, I would just, it was like 2016, 2017, whenever San Antonio was the last CSM, not the one that just happened, but the one before that. Yeah. And I did a strategy call with my, just my, I just graduated from PT school and Sky Donovan, who just texted me. So obviously we're friends now. She hates when I just keep referring to her as my former professor, my current <laughs> friend, but it was on the, the, strate the strategy session was on the back of a Denny's placemat. And she's like, what do you want to do? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm just going to keep talking to people. And she's like, but you have to have a direction. You don't have to have like a, the whole map, but you got like, what are you going towards? Like, what's your North star? And I was like, I don't know. And I don't know. And somewhere over moons over my hammy, I just blurted out. Like, I want to be the voice of physical therapy. She goes, what's that mean? And I'm like, I don't know. But like, I want to help unlock really great ideas from other people. Like, I'm not going to be a clinical leader in something. I'm not going to be able to like, you know, you know, wax poetic about all the intricacies of, of, of private practice ownership, but I'm terribly fascinated by a little bit of all of it. So I'm like, well, what's my superpowers? Like I really care about having good conversations. Can people gain from that? I think so. And I'm going to do it regardless. And she's like, then go. And then she was like, she paused, you know, put her, you know, chintzy uh, silverware down, <laughs> plastic nor uh, fork and knife, and said, and "Do that and be whatever that is. Have that, you know, make a decision." And I think that that change that you referenced recently, yeah. when I went from thinking of Pinecast as a show to a network, and how do I have different conversations with different types of people, that was based on that, which is, I want to be the voice. So if you're going to be the voice, you got to mix it up with people. So why why do you want to be the voice? Um, I see so much potential in this profession. I mean, there's so much potential in the world, but obviously I'm a PT, so this is near and dear to me. Um, I used to say PTs were bad at communicating. I changed that now. I don't think we're bad at it. I think we don't, we're, we're not given instruction on it enough. And then we just rush through it and do it. And we don't give ourselves the, the time and, and, and put the energy into becoming better. We'd rather just rush through it. And I see that because my day job is working with people who are so smart like PhDs and MDs and PTs and OTs and SLPs. And they're going to go give a presentation at their national conference. And I'm like, have you thought about what you're going to do? Like, can I help you a month, two months, three months beforehand? 
now I'll throw that together like a week before. And I was like, you've done all this great work. Your whole life has led up to this moment, not to make it so, so grandiose, but like it has like your whole life, your whole life has led up to every moment, but like, and you're just going to fudge how you're going to share that. Like what is success to What is the success of your presentation look like to you? If you're going to give it in front of a thousand people, is it have given it in front of a thousand people? Well, then you can show up and do a crappy job and you'll still check the box. I'm like, and that's where I start with my mantra now, which is the, it used to be science isn't finished until it's communicated. And that was somebody else's words. That was Sir Mark Walport, who was like the science minister in the UK. And I was like, I love this guy. I'm going to get that tattooed on my bicep. Science isn't finished until it's communicated. Because look, it's got science in it. And that's where PT is. And it's got communications. I'm like, that's where I am. And I'm like, this is great. And then I rattled it around for like two to three months saying it. I made it the signature on my email. Like everywhere. I'm like, this is the greatest thing ever. And then I was like, oh, it's incomplete. And like not to one up Sir Mark Walport, but I think he was really close. And I changed one word and it was science isn't finished until it's understood. Because the goal of communicating is not to have communicated. The goal of communication is to relay or achieve understanding by the other party. And you have to take ownership of that as the sender. And I love using this analogy. It gets real clear when I use this analogy. I have a friend who's a third grade teacher. And I say to her, I could do your job in two and a half weeks and be home by mid-October. And she's like, no, you couldn't. And I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Give me a syllabus. I can talk fast. I can draw real fast on the board. I could rip through the syllabus in two and a half weeks. If my job was to just communicate that information, I could vomit information on a bunch of third graders. But that's not the goal. The goal is to make sure it's understood, right? So when you change it that way, patient education, which a lot of times is done as you're walking the patient to the front desk, like here's your HEP and here's HEP to go.com and what you want to do 10 of these. And you know what? And then call me in the It's like, wow, I don't think that communication is going to go well. Cause it wasn't intentional. It's being rushed. You didn't practice it. And are you measuring it? Are you ever having someone watch or record or how are you getting better? And I'm like, you did your whole life led up to that moment. And you just never decide what you're not good at it. So you're not, and so you're afraid of it. You're not good at it. So you feel self-conscious. So you're afraid of it. So you just blow through it as fast as you can and avoid it. So that's why I want to be the voice of PT. Yeah, I'm in, man. I love it. <laughs> you, hit, you hit something really powerful too that I loved, which is this idea of like, you know, you alluded to it without saying it directly, like the barrier that keeps people from understanding, apart from having someone with a stage and people who can share is is our own overwhelm and busyness. Like when you're talking about the HP, HEP and you're like, hey, this is it, by the way, it's because our industry is almost identified by being overworked and burned out. And so for the first time ever, ever, we have a generation of PTs and I see it all over the place in, in Facebook groups that are asking themselves, why did I do this and, and should I stay in this? That's ne- That was never a thing when I was coming out of school. Yeah. Like PTs were giving up you know, being accepted to medical programs for MD to become a PT when I grad when I was in it. And now and that was because my student debt is a fraction of what it is now. The average student, I think I'm almost sure it's 170,000 or yeah. 75. Is yeah, it something like that per student per graduation? And they're coming out making in the high 60s on average. And it's like, there's no world where people and then they're being like, you know, the cattle prod where you've got all these patients you're supposed to see in a given day. And so, you know, we've, not being able to, to have time to learn all these other concepts that would really solve that for some of these or most of these individuals isn't there. They don't have the time, the ability to step in and do it. And so that's probably the one challenge, no matter what we're trying to do to make this world a better place for our industry is the burnout, the overwhelm, you know, for people who are taking time to listen to this, like they should really take a second, acknowledge themselves and recognize, yeah, I represent a small percentage of people who are willing to take the time to grow and learn and connect their network. Yeah. And so many other people would love to do it, but they just don't feel like they can because they're so burned out. Let's talk about um, uh, one pain point or one thing that we'd like to improve. Cause that's what I wanted to do with the show being positive deviance, right? Yeah. Which is a great term, by the way, that I've mentioned before. And I want to say to the audience, I got it from Alan Jetty, who's the editor of PTJ, the PT journal. And he said it in a talk at Brooks IHL. And it was like the, 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 the crux of his talk. And I was like, he's like, 
we the world needs more positive deviance and i remember just being like snapped out of it like what is those two words are in opposition and human beings do not like that or but we do like it it's like an itch we're like we got to yeah. scratch it. i'm like what does that mean and he really said like positive deviance as I'm, I'm bringing up the actual definition because as well, it's like based on the observation that in every community, there are certain individuals or groups whose uncommon behaviors and strategies enable them to find better solutions to problems than their peers while having access to the same resources facing similar or worse challenges. It's like, listen, these uh, the Banksies of the world, the people who come at things sideways typically can be given less resources and get better results. This is the A team. It's like there's just four dudes in a van and we can get better results. So that's why I kind of liked it, which is like, how do we positive deviance our way through problems? Because that's pretty much the only way. Yeah. So I wanted to I wanted in this in this show, make sure we always brought up one thing that's kind of like, hey, bothering or that you're working on or working towards. And you said it was the small thinking of PT owners, because those are the people that you're, some of the people that you're talking to. So what's, let's identify the problem, and then what are, what's one or two strategies that you're using to help them get out of that small-minded, that small thinking? Yeah, so the problem of small thinking anything in our industry is a direct result from the, the, the mindset of our industry. It's something that we can't, in my opinion, I don't think we can identify one thing as the reason our industry tends to think this way, but it's shifting. And I'm so excited about that, Jimmy, because students are coming. I think it's part of the problem getting so bad that people are starting to wake up. It's like the pain of the student debt. The pain is, it's not necessarily a bad thing. People are questioning if they should stay in the industry as long as we provide and there are solutions to overcoming that. And so when people, you know, it starts in PT school, Jimmy, when, when we are there, at least I was, I was told a million times that my license is my livelihood. And I think that turned PTs into PT owners who are constantly looking over their shoulder for, for Medicare audits that aren't going to happen or a patient lawsuit that statistically is very rare or, you know, all these different things that are there instead of keeping their eyes on what, what could be possible. Like it's the difference between playing the game because you're afraid to lose versus playing the game because I want to win. This is um, when people go into a situation, they go, what's the worst that could happen? I'm like, I don't know. What's the best that could happen? Bingo. And that mindset shift is there and it's, it, it's coming. That's what, that's the good news is that this new generation is figuring that out. And you know, for me, more than anything, Jimmy, the thing that I want to help people see is that anything is possible because your license is your possibility. It's a license too. Yes. You, you know, you work so hard to become a PT. I really believe this. The best men and women I've ever met on this earth are PTs. Like, I, it's mostly who I associate with, but I will tell you, I've networked outside of PT more than I have in. And the people in PT are the biggest hearts, and they're so afraid. It's the fear. It's the crippling fear. And it gets me really angry when I'm treating, when I'm trying to help them. See, I called it treating. When I'm coaching or whatever that word is that I'm helping them get out, it's when they come back to, yeah, but what if this happens? It's like, yeah, well, what if we all die tomorrow? What if, a new, I mean, there's so many what ifs that if we start playing that game, it's never ending. But every once in a while, Jimmy, I get the chance to work with someone and they start thinking, what would be possible? What could I do in that case? And these are men and women who are, who are literally in some cases, and it's not about the money, but they're, if they want, they're making millions of dollars and they're improving patient care. They're not creating these cattle call clinics. There's so many different avenues to go into in our industry. Look what you've done. You've, because you're a physical therapist, you've created a stage to help other people. So the thing that I just want, I, I think I'm so excited about is that our environment is allowing people to wonder what's possible. And if anything, if my role on this earth before I leave physical therapy is to help people ask themselves, what would I create if I thought there was no barriers in physical therapy? what's possible for me and my family and my patients. If I believed I could do anything I wanted to and make as much as I wanted to, whatever those, those things are, what would that look like for them? So after that, which is sort of like, like mind mapping or, or, or envisioning, what do you tell them to do? Like, what's the, what's the, what's a first step or the first step, which is like, okay, once you have that, how do they start to put that into a reality? How do they make that intangible, tangible? 
yeah, and this isn't me. This is like this is like studies and science and Forbes magazine and all this stuff. No matter what we're doing in life, there's two things I always recommend to get people in the right mindset. It's build a network because who we know now, who we are in five years, Jimmy, is directly proportionate to what we read and who we associate with, period. So we got to build our network. And I always say hire a coach. The coach is going to direct you on the best books. There's so many good books but good is the enemy of great. You want someone who's done what you want to do, whatever that is, start a podcast and learn from you. Or if it's something in private practice that I can help with, like you go to somebody who's figured it out, who has been a positive deviant yep. in the industry to help you become a positive deviant. And what's cool is that none of us get here without the help of many mentors. True. And True. And when we get there. What happens at the end when we start realizing what's possible is then we get excited about our thing that we want to influence in the industry. And that becomes maybe our niche that we start becoming known for. But me sitting in this chair has less to do with me and a lot more to do with the literal network of people who've cared and poured their heart and soul into me. And now that's all I, that's all you and I want to do. We want to just give that to this this industry because there's so much more that we could be, right? Yeah, I didn't know that both of our, your so yours was was really small, uh, small thinking of PT owners, and mine was going to be um, how how not to stop innovation or how to get out of the way of preventing innovation, but they they completely overlap. So. Totally. Here's like a story and a half. It's not really two stories. It's a story and a half. But people come to me now. I put out a podcast course, which is like the complete healthcare podcast. Or like people came to me and they're like, how do I do this? And I got tired of writing the same emails over and over again. I'm like, here's a course. It's 200 bucks. It took me, you know, six years as a podcaster and 15 years as a broadcaster to learn this. I figure that's worth 200 bucks. Being oh, I think it's probably worth more. Just my two cents. Not that I don't want to keep, I don't want that to sound like a criticism, but like what you create, you're the, you are the expert in our industry on this, man. But here's the funny part, right? So I have people come to me and organizations, not people, organizations, well, people in the organizations, but they're representing organizations, big organizations, probably with more than either a thousand employees or five to 10,000 members. I'm not going to say who they are, but I've had conversations like this half a dozen times in the last six months. And it goes like this. We want you to help us launch a communication strategy or a podcast, something in your sphere. I go, great. And they go, how much? They go right to how much does this cost? And I'm like, you know what? I'm used to that because that's what people do in terms of shopping for something, right? That's our gut reaction. How much does this cost? I personally think you should ask, what am I getting out of this? Then I can weigh it against cost. But that's not, not, that's not here or there. People want to rush to cost. Instead of me talking around them, I go right at them. I go, okay, there are three payment models. One is I teach Two is I mentor, three is I lead, and they are more expensive the deeper we go. Teach, I come into your organization, I do a quick day or day or, or, or two-day thing, I teach your organization a, a set syllabus, and then I'm done, I pat you on the back, and I say, good luck, I bid you adieu. Second is mentor, where like I come in, I do the weekend thing, and then I'm on a call or I'm there with you on this journey, whatever we need. We can figure out what the frequency is. Is it twice a month? The third is you hire me, I do everything. And that one's going to be really expensive because I have a job. So if I'm doing everything for you, you are now paying me a lot of money, right? So I go through the pricing model and I say this, uh, teach is one, mentor is another, lead is the third that's most expensive. And I go, if you want that, you're going to pay for that. And they often go, how much is each one? And I tell them. And I even write in the, in the email, gasp, why does it cost that much? And then I go through a little like two sentence because I've done this and I know what it's worth. That's why I know I can charge this. And then I, I save this for the email reaction, which is always like, we'll think about it. And I'm like, okay. And they either do and they hire me or they don't. But I always send this option back. Oh, I forgot to mention there's a fourth option. What's that? And I said, it's zero dollars. Tell me more. And I go, I do everything I mentioned there. But I now get to sell advertising on your podcast and I keep 100%. And they go, you can't do that. I go, why? Because you're going to create something awesome and you're going to make lots of money. And I said, exactly. That's why I'm getting the money up front because I know exactly what I'm capable of. And this thing's going to blow up. And then, I'm, then I can't ask. Then I have no leverage because I've already created the thing. If you're a logo designer and you do this, you can't ask for more money later. But you know what you're going to give them. So my so that's the half a story, right? That's the mindset thing. 
And the funny thing is, the other half of the story is, in my job, I take things that don't exist and I create them. Will takes things that don't exist and creates them. And these things solve problems. They either inform, I say there's two things that you can do with content, inform or entertain, or the bonus thing, if you do both at the same time, it's informative and entertaining. That's the golden, that's the golden goose. A lot of times people will ask me to do something and I've done stuff to, to prove people, proof of concept things. That's working for free, right? But under the, under the uh, agreement that this should lead to, if, if this hits certain metrics, if I do something badass and we decide what badass is, badass is hitting this, and we do it badass, then, then we then get into a conversation about that. And people often ask, we want to be innovative. Can you create something innovative? And then I deliver to their specifications an innovation in communications, because that's where I live, and then they fail to innovate. We love to talk about how innovative we are. We love to pat ourselves on the back so much that we might dislocate our shoulders. And we love to get caught up in talking about innovations. But when the opportunity, when you have opportunity and resources to truly innovate and you don't, it annoys me to no end because you said when there was green, when it was green grass and blue skies outside that we're innovative. And then innovation, the innovation monster, the thing to defeat showed up and you didn't get on your white horse and go to battle. To me, that breaks my heart because we need innovation. We absolutely need it. And I think it comes from a place of fear because everything you can reduce fractions to the, to the base emotion of why people do or do not do things. And to me, it's fear. And it's killing me because, ironically, we need it or things will get worse. If we don't innovate ourselves out of the situation, and I think I used, I did like a tweet thread on this where I talked about, did you ever see that movie, um, uh, uh, The Martian, Matt Damon? Oh, I love that movie, yeah. And that one line where he's like, and the cool part is most of that movie is him talking to a camera because he's marooned on Mars. And he's like, well, you know what we're going to do here? We're going to science the shit out of this. And I was like, yeah, he decided like live or die. I'm going down swinging. And of course it's a movie. He needed food. He happened to be a botanist. It's like, all right, that's pretty good setup. But he decided, he made the decision that I'm going to innovate. I'm not going to sit here and pout. I'm not going to complain. I'm going to innovate the shit out. I'm going to science the shit out of this thing. And it kills me because I'm, I'm trying to see, now I go internal, am I not communicating? Where is the failure? Is it just on them? Is it just their fear? Or did I not help overcome that fear? Did I not clearly communicate the path of where we are, which is bad. We both decided it was bad because we wanted innovation. And then where we want to go, which is good. And I said, there is no path that exists. We need to innovate. We need to create it. We need to find a problem that everybody says isn't my problem and solve that problem. And I run into so many situations and it breaks my heart because I always say, I am not emotionally attached to this idea. And Will, I am 100% attached emotionally <laughs> to every idea that I create. Although I say this all the time, I'm like, I am not attached to this idea. I can walk away at any point and I can walk away, but man, if I'm not tearing my heart out while I'm doing it. So I ran into a situation recently where that happened and everything was firing on all cylinders and it was with a large organization and I watched them look at this idea and go, eh. And I'm like, this did everything you said it couldn't. I proved it. And you went, eh. And I'm like, I'm taking my ball and I'm going home. Screw you guys. <laughs> I have to say, I think that's where you and I share. Because that, that is my greatest frustration is people say, out of pain and fear, I need help. And then you show them the door. You can't, they, can't, walk, can't walk for them. They have to walk through it. And for some small reason, they're like, yeah, but what if the answer isn't on the other side of that door? And I'm like, I've done it. Why wouldn't you do it? Or like what you did, you showed them that you did it. It almost makes me wonder, you were talking about how our, both of our things overlap around this concept of fear. You know, I heard Jordan Peterson once talk a little bit about that fear sometimes isn't something we can totally get rid of, but we can choose what to be afraid of. And if we're afraid of the right things, so like in that case where it's like, yeah, I'm afraid that if I go through the door, it's not going to help, but shouldn't you be more afraid that if you don't do anything, it's going to get worse. And, and, and I've never made a decision to get help that didn't benefit me some way. In some right. cases, I wasn't always like, wow, that was the greatest solution. But most of the time I was right. most of the time just putting energy on like movement. How does a plane take off thrust? It, we can't, we can't get lift until we're moving. And so just doing the same things on the doing circles on the tarmac, driving around, it's like, 
getting that up. And I, and I do believe it's changing. I do believe PTs, this generation in particular, that's why I named that Facebook group next gen is because I'm blown away by the entrepreneurial and entrepreneurial. Remember owning a business isn't better than not owning a business. Being a leader is what it's about. You can be a leader in your own company and be an entrepreneur. You can be a leader in somebody else's business and be an entrepreneur. One's not better than the other, but both of them are moving forward. I heard, I heard, I heard, um, people use uh, leader with the big L that's like you own a business and leader with the little L it's like you're a leader in a business. And I was like, or, or, or an organization or in your community. And I was like, Oh, that's, that's a cool mindset. Not everybody needs that. Cause we say you don't need a title to innovate. It's like, yeah, no, sometimes, I mean, I've said before, I ran a radio station for half my career in radio. I think I did an okay job, but what I really, what I really wanted to do was work at a station where I had a great boss and I was, I was Robin to his Batman or her Batman because it allowed me um, a seat at the table, right? A little bit of power, a little bit of influence, but I would, but I had like, I didn't have to have all the, uh, the, all the answers. And I feel like that's how I felt when I got the program director job at my last station, I was like, I'm just supposed to know everything. Right. And I liked having ideas that crapped out and failed. I liked them cause I learned stuff. Um, I mean, I didn't love, you know, of course, and then we want everything to see, but with the ones I am that, that didn't work, I embraced. And as the big L leader at the radio station, I didn't have as much um, opportunity for that. Or, and this was not external. This is all on myself. Like my boss was just like, listen, man, don't lose the license. The radio station's got, you know, 20 years history. Don't worry about it. But I was taking every day. Like it was like, I'm, you know, my, my career. Um, but I like that idea of like more, more leadership, right? Entrepreneur talk about entrepreneur versus entrepreneur for a second. Cause I want to make sure people are clear on that. Yeah, so again, an entrepreneur is someone like you said with a little L. And, and the reason I like, just being upfront, Jimmy, I like uh, entrepreneur more than like little leader because that implies lesser meaning. And okay. I don't see that at all. I, I think finding a mentor, whether it's a boss or a coach or someone who's running a podcast called the PT Pinecast, like <laughs> whatever that is, is where, where the joy comes from learning. If, there's, if you look back on time, like in, in the history of the world, how have things developed. Well, there was always an apprentice. There was always a master. And that's just how we grow and develop. So entrepreneurs are people who aren't necessarily, at least initially, they're like apprentices, but they can be masters. And I will tell you, some of the most inspiring leaders in our industry are people who haven't owned a business. It's just, the, but, the, but the one thing that isn't common, and that's why it's like, you know, splitting hairs a little bit, is leadership. Leadership is the ability to stay optimistic. It's a matter of, of looking what is on the other side of that door and then having the cojones to go through it and try to see, and, and like you said, fall. Going back to that man in the arena, the man who at best, uh, or at least knows horrible defeat, but at best experiences success, but was there fighting in the first place. Again, ownership is just a technicality. I really mm -hmm. believe that. It's leadership is what we need more than anything. Um, I walked away from this experience, this last experience where I was mad that I helped someone innovate and they just said like, eh, not good enough. And I like, I pouted and I was discussing this with my boss at Mount Sinai and he was, cause he's a guy who I look up to. He has the word innovation in his job title. And I got so mad and I was like, whatever, whatever. And he's heard it before and I knew it. And he was just kind of like, he was like, mm -hmm, letting me just verbally like, get it, get it out, Jimmy, get it out. And, um, and I came up with this really cool phrase in the moment, like, just like, you know, I verbally process as well, like you do. And, um, and I was like, you know what, you know what, it, they want to play defense, they're defending, they're defending the status quo. Um, and I was like, true innovators play offense. And I put it on a t-shirt and I put it on my Shopify store and somebody bought it. I was like, hell yeah, leader innovators play offense. Innovators do play offense because they're out there making change. And it's the reason more people don't do it is fear. And there's, a, again, this generation that's coming up, they're more courageous. They're motivated by debt, honestly, which is always a great motivator to say, well, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it my way. And they're taking that stand. But my hope is that as people listen to this, this episode and your shows is that they're getting that idea just of what's possible. Like, again, the idea of what could be possible and to not feel restrained by the status quo. I am so sick and tired of people thinking about their license being their livelihood. I want them to see the possibility that lies yeah. in it and listen to guys like you who are going to hear that and go, yeah, what could I do? Maybe I'll, I'll totally disrupt the industry and start a new company, or maybe I'll go find someone who's doing that now who I can believe in 
and be an entrepreneur in that company and change it, right? That's cool. All right, so let's wrap this thing up with something you're looking forward to in the next week, month, six months, year. Like, what's something you're skating towards? Like, something you're excited about? Like, like, like changing or happening or becoming or or any of those? Man, I'm so excited about so many things. Um, On, I don't. That could be a whole episode right now because there's so many good things going on and so many challenges. Um, One of the challenges I'm facing right now is they're looking at putting a pacemaker in me. I've got a. Yeah, I've got that coming up. But what I'm excited about behind that is being completely in control of how my heart operates, which has been a little bit of a struggle. So it's kind of a mix there. That will be my 13th surgery. Um, And I'm getting my hip replaced this summer. So I could walk around and be really bummed about these things. Um, And there are days where I am not, not like painting this like rosy picture. But what I'm really grateful for more than anything else is that like the mental health of my kids is getting better. My oldest son is starting college. And he had a traumatic brain injury and he's, he's finally registering for class and the boy is going to kill it. I'm so excited for him. I, I honestly, right now, this is one of the happiest times of my life because these people that I love called my, my family are, are starting to thrive in the face of challenge. And I'm, I'm following suit. I'm going to commit myself to doing better and doing more. I'm looking forward to those things. Um, because you sound like you, you're looking past the, the difficult things, which will happen right? Yeah. Surgery and, and hip replacement, like not easy, but you're focused on the, the long-term benefits of those increased mental health benefits. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to take a similar vein. It's weird how these things happen by accident. Um, a couple years ago, I tried to throw a, a party. And I think I told you about this at CSM yes. with team Gleason. And then I, I you know, I, I reached out, I thought, Hey, if I build it, they will come and I built this party, the organization raised $100,000 in a night, and I was like, this is what we should be doing at every CSM. This is positive deviance in action, right? CSM is a very busy time. I came to some people's attention and said, I'm gonna throw a party at this CSM. Let's do our parties together. Let's, let's combine sections meeting. Let's combine our parties for this common good on the outside. Let's leave behind more than just a bar tab and a bunch of hotel room reservations. And I was kind of told, we don't do that here. And I did it anyway, and we had a success. And then I said, well, I'm going to walk back to those people with this success. I'm going to show it right in their face and go, next time I call, you better come with me. And it never got momentum. And it came up on my Facebook memories that we did it four or five years ago, whatever. And I said, you know what? We haven't done that again because I took that L, I took that loss and never fought again. So I made a, made a sort of a flag, uh, a plant moment and said, I'm going to throw a banger. That's what the kids these days are calling it, right? Bang. I'm going to throw a banger at CSM in, in San Diego ah. next year in 2023. And it's going to be a charity benefit. It's going to be, I always say, I want to throw a party that I would want to pay money to go to. It's going to benefit a nonprofit organization of our choice. I'm working on a couple right now in the background, but I'm putting this out there in the universe a few times on podcasts, on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram. Because the more I put it out there, the more I'll like, okay, you want this because you keep repeating it. Now you got to go make it happen. So I'm looking forward to that. I And I, I want you, we'll have to talk about it on another episode, but I want, if you haven't shared that story with your audience, man, like that story of what you did blew my mind. And it, look, I'm trying to blow minds. So when someone blows my mind, I'm like, whoa, 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 that's extremely special. So that would yeah. be really fun because that, when you say you're throwing a party, you're talking about like epic proportion changing industry like connecting us socially and culturally i love yeah i want to do this at csm i'm already talking about it now a lot of people will talk about great parties at csm um i want to throw the one that 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 rattles the molars loose of everybody else next door like i want to i want people to have a you know have a hangover of good times for three days after this yeah i want i I, because i know what you're going to create you're going to create something that everyone's going to be talking about for the next year it's my goal anxious anticipation of like what's he going to do next year i have no idea well i'm gonna start i'm starting soon so you're gonna be on the planning committee will i just i just i I just dubbed you on the planning committee all right all right this was our first episode of 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 this sort of uh ideas positive deviance let us know dm or or drop us a a message the uh the connect to uh, the contact information of will and myself always in the show notes of the episode uh so we like to say the best conversations happen at happy hour thanks for coming to ours Like what you hear? Tell a friend or leave a review on iTunes or Google Play. 
The show today is brought to you by the Brooks Institute of Higher Learning, an innovator in providing advanced post-professional education. The Brooks IHL offers seven on-site PT residencies, including orthopedics, women's health, geriatrics, pediatrics, sports, and neurology, as well as a neurologic OT fellowship, a competitive OMPT fellowship, and a speech therapy clinical fellowship. Therapists that complete a residency or fellowship through the Brooks IHL will markedly advance their knowledge and skills in a specialty area of practice. Learn more about how a residency or fellowship can help you advance your professional development at brooksihl.org. Our home on the internet. PTPinecast.com. Created by Build PT. Build PT provides marketing services specifically for private practice PTs. From website development and hosting. To providing content marketing solutions for PT clinics across the country. See what Build PT can do for you today at BuildPT.com. The PT Pinecast is a product of PT Pinecast LLC. It is hosted and produced by PT Pinecast CEO Jim McKay and CBO Sky Donovan from Marymount University. We talk PT, drink beer, and record it. This has been another pour from the PT Pinecast. The PT Pinecast is intended for educational purposes only. No clinical decision-making should be based solely on one source. While care is taken to ensure accuracy, factual errors can be present. More on the show at ptpinecast.com.